You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Hey guys, so glad that you are joining us. Hey, listen, in the midst of tough times, it's important to get some good news. And I want to share with you uh, some recent news. Uh, I'm excited to announce that based on what we know right now, that we will be opening our church on July 12th, 9 and 10.30 services. So I miss you. Uh, just today, I, I uh, saw another one of our church members and was so excited to be w- able to uh, share with them uh, the news and look forward to seeing all of you then. Uh, I know many of you might stay back. I want to encourage you to listen. We're doing everything we can to ensure safe and, and uh, healthy environments. Make sure you watch the video uh, that's a detailed explanation on, on the opening up, and then we'll send out more information as we're ready. So that is good news. Secondly, great news is that uh, months ago, you might have recall, I shared to our congregation the need for our parking lot to be paved. And a, a man by the name of Richard happened to be in the service that day, and he has kids that are a part of this church and grandchildren that are a part of this church. And he felt compelled by the Lord uh, to do something. And so he gave me his business card and said, call me, I might be of help to you uh, sometime. And so I did. I followed up with him and uh, little did I know that he and a group of other really, really good men would step forward and donate a parking lot for North Valley Community Church. So it's incredible acts of God's providence and favor upon this church from season to season that comes to us at good times. And so uh, that is going to really move us far along in the campus development projects that we're doing. We're doing lots of improvements. And so we say to, to Christ be the glory in the North Valley. He wants North Valley to be a regional church for the gospel of Jesus Christ to permeate and penetrate neighborhoods and families and communities for generations and generations to come. So we're a part of that story and seeing God's act of providence come down and bless this church. So we're so excited. Join me today. Come and see it. Uh, uh, one to three on Sunday. We're going to have a as fun celebration, Kona Ice, out here today. So I want to encourage you to join us. Uh, and uh, check that out, and, and uh, we'd love to be able to get that food, and at the end of the month, we're going to take it up to our friends on the Navajo Reservation. So that's some good news in a tough time. So let me pray for us, and we're going to get into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I pray for everybody uh, here uh, that is watching or online tuned in and connected uh, near and afar. Uh, Lord, I pray today would be a day where they see just a greater sense of the great battle that goes on in the unseen world and the call, the challenge, the exhortation from Scripture to stand strong in tough times. Uh, Give us a a vigilance, Lord, to fight the fight and live the faith. In Christ's name, amen. Well, hey guys, today we're jumping back into this series called Intentional Living, and we've been working through the book of Ephesians, and we will have spent maybe 22 different messages in this with a couple of different series uh, packed into it, and so I hope you're encouraged. And today, I've titled the message, Standing Strong in Tough Times, and the reality is, is that there is a battle that goes on in the unseen world uh, I, before the 9-11 attacks, uh, there was a captain by the name of Mark Nutch, 
never did he expect that he would use horseback riding as a skill uh, he learned growing up in Kansas on a cattle ranch in battle. But weeks later, on October 19th of 2001, Nutch and a team of 11 other Green Berets were inserted into the Afghanistan uh, in Afghanistan to liberate the region from the Taliban without tanks or, or massive trucks, but with just horses. It was an unheard of battle tactic for soldiers to do in that time, and, and it was uh, unheard of, but it was incredibly clever. They knew that if they used horses, they would be able to move behind enemy lines and infiltrate their areas and their camps and perhaps turn over uh, the, the enemy's attacks against uh, America. And so what we saw here was there was this expectation that this battle would take perhaps six weeks, but it took just three we were told by uh, military experts that it would take dozens of teams, but they did it with just one team. There were estimations that there would be high high casualties, but no one died. The battle of tanks, these guys battled tanks and troops on the ground. They were armed, these tanks and troops were armed with guns and missiles, and our soldiers fought with just uh, weapons and horses. 2,000 years ago, there was another team. There was another team that uh, that followed a team of 12 that followed another unconventional leader as well. He didn't ride a horse, but he rode a donkey. He didn't bat- his battle didn't last three weeks, but it lasted three days. He didn't fight for a nation, but he fought for a kingdom and he won. His name was Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us that there is a kingdom that at war. There is a kingdom of God and there is a kingdom of Satan. And today what I want to do is help you to win the war that you face in the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. And so today, before I jump into the text that we're going to be looking at in Ephesians chapter 6, what I want to do is give you the story behind the story in the church of Ephesus. The story behind the story comes with a vision and a mission from the Apostle Paul to plant a church that would reach all ethnic groups in a very diverse city. Ephesus was one of the largest cities in the Roman Empire. It was a a melting pot of ethnic diversity, and there was religion of all sorts. It was, in many realms, uh, what would be some of the same issues that we face in American cultures in major cities is the same issues that they were facing. The Apostle Paul, in one of his missionary journeys, goes before the church is planted. He preaches the gospel, and a riot breaks out. Uh, Storekeepers and shopkeepers are deeply offended, and masses and masses of people are leaving the old ways of religion and witchcraft and, and sorcery and magic and dark arts, and they're starting to follow the way, which was the, the, the early name for Christians in the very beginning. Before this church was ever planted, there was all sorts of dissension, division, riots, and uh, racial uh, tensions. And the Apostle Paul preaches a gospel. And the gospel theme that he lays out for the church in Ephesus, so timely for us in today's culture, is a gospel of peace. And what the Apostle Paul uh, began to preach, as we look in the the book of Ephesians, the, the Christians in Ephesians, he preached that 
peace is positional and given to every single Christian. So the peace that we're to find amongst different people of different walks of life and diversity of all sorts is already made available through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's just that we've got to practically work that out. The Apostle Paul preached this gospel of peace when he said this in Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace. He's talking about Jesus Christ, that he is the peace. The Apostle Paul began to preach this message in Ephesus and this time of great need for the city to heal and to grow and to become united and a new community would form, this gospel of peace was preached. As well, he talked about the importance for the believers being eager to maintain the unity. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he says that very phrase. He says, be eager to maintain the unity. And he says that you find in the bond of peace. In other words, he's saying as Christians, you've got to be eager to maintain this unity that you've already been given through Jesus Christ. As believers, you and I positionally have a peace that comes through Jesus Christ that has no regard for ethnicity, that has no regard for economics or education or anything else. It is rooted in the reality that all people are made equal, loved by God, created in God, and the Apostle Paul goes on to say is that all of you guys were created for good works. And so the reality that's going on as we look at this uh, church being planted in Ephesus, it was off to a great start. The Apostle Paul preached. He installed a pastor by the name of Timothy who pastors the church. And then the theme that they're to hold to as an early church is unity and peace and to move forward and be eager to maintain that. And in the reality is, is that they face struggle. And the Apostle Paul today warns the church and tells them that their greatest battle for peace and unity and living a life of, of, of God's grace and, and being uh, 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 productive and doing all that they can do to share and show the love of Christ is the spiritual forces of darkness against them. And I would say uh, for us, there's powerful lessons in this passage that we're going to unpack very quickly through today's message. But it says in Ephesians chapter uh, 6, verses 10 through 12, the Apostle Paul says, finally. And oftentimes when he says finally, he's not ready to wrap it up, but he is going to now address some of the most important closing remarks about how to live as a Christian in a tough time. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the, this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So the question comes is, how do you stand strong in tough times? Number one, I want to encourage you that you've got to rely on God's power, not on human willpower. God's power is is strong. God's power is something that that we have to rely on in the the, uh, 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 war in the spiritual realm. I can remember last year when we replaced my old SUV with a new one. For weeks, I was driving around in my car, and I was frustrated because I didn't have a, an adapter to plug in my phone, and my phone kept dying on important phone calls and work that I was doing, and I was frustrated about it. And one day, my daughter gets in my truck, and my phone dies.
guys in the middle of a conversation and she says, dad, why don't you charge your phone? And I said, sweetie, I don't have a, a charger. And she said, what do you mean? She said, there's a wireless charger right there in your car. And I said, what are you talking about? I never knew the technology existed. I didn't even know I was driving around for weeks and I had a charger right there in the center console of my vehicle. The reality is, as a Christian, we're driving around, going about our work, doing our things, and God has a power right there with us every single day. And the question comes is, are you aware enough to plug in? You need to plug into God's power, not human willpower, if you're going to stand the, the, the battles of the enemy. If you, you, as a Christian, you've got to realize at some point or another that the Christian life is not a playground but it's a battleground. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you've already figured this out. And if you try to wage war in, the, in your own power, you will be defeated. We've got to realize the scripture says this, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The power that the apostle Paul prayed for for the Ephesians is in Ephesians 3, he talked about being strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I have power through the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the Godhead, and his job is to bring you power into the midst of your situation. That's why the apostle Paul said, be filled with the spirit in every circumstance and especially difficult circumstances. You need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. The Apostle Paul also prayed for the glory of God through this church for generations and generations to come. And he prayed that this power would be made available, that all believers would work, that would work within this power that the Holy Spirit offers. And so you and I need to rely on God's power, not human willpower. Secondly, we need to be aware of the schemes of the devil. To be aware of the schemes of the devil, we've got to realize that it is, it is a challenging situation. And I, I heard a story of a lady who went shopping with her husband. And he'd asked her not to buy any new clothes. And she found this new dress that she liked so much that she went in and she bought it in secret. She didn't want to tell her husband. A couple of days later, the husband discovered and he was really upset. And she told him, well, when she tried it on, she says, it looks so good, Satan tempted me to buy it. And, and she couldn't resist. And he said, well, why didn't you say what the scripture says? Get behind me, Satan. And she said, well, I did. And he told me it looked even better from behind. The reality is, is that Satan's going to use every situation to inflict his strategies to get you to fall into temptation. Uh, the reality is, is that there is, a, is a, it, there is a deceptive power from the devil. Some of you might be saying is, uh, who is this devil? Where does he come from? He was an angel, a part of God's original creation. His name was Lucifer. Um, he was referred to as the brilliant star. He was described as that. Uh, he was cast down because of his pride and his desires to occupy God's throne and many mysterious connect the origin of Satan uh, 
but uh, there, the, there's this question oftentimes about the origin of Satan, but there is no mystery about the finality of Satan. See, the Bible tells us very clearly that Satan is in a losing battle. One day, Jesus will absolutely kill, defeat Satan in all of his uh, henchmen, his foot soldiers, his demonic workers. But the reality is, is right now on earth, there's a battle for glory, God's glory. Satan wants his, to work as hard as he can to get as many people to stray away from God and to move towards the kingdom of Satan. He knows the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And his schemes are to do whatever he can. Since he's a created being and not eternal as God, he's limited in his knowledge, he's limited in his activity. And unlike God, Satan is not all-knowing, all-powerful, or ever-present, but he does have schemes. You may ask, what are those schemes? The scripture mentions this in Ephesians 6.11. It says, put on the whole armor of God, which we'll get to next week, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. What are these schemes? The first scheme that is most often happening in our, in our culture, in our world, is that there's deception. Satan wants you to be deceived. He is called the father of lies. Uh, the father of lies. From the very beginning in Genesis, we see that he deceives um, Adam and, and Eve into tricking them to rebel against God in the reality is, is that he is a deceiver. He is the father of all lies. He's a liar from the very beginning. He masquerades himself as an angel of light oftentimes with the appearance of good, but he's deeply, his intent is absolutely evil. His, his tactic is deception. Anytime that you are associated or connected with deceptive actions, Satan and his workers are fueling that there, anytime there is this reality of deception or gossip or lies or falsehood going on, you can bet that Satan and his demons are gathering people in that to create a more powerful force of lies and deception which bring corruption and, and pain and hurt in any community. Secondly, his second scheme is division. This is why the Apostle Paul preached on unity so much for the church in Ephesus. This is why he preached on peace amongst the brotherhood and among believers in Ephesus. This is why Jesus, in the high priestly prayer, prayed for unity and prayed for all believers to be one and talked about, by the way you love one another and are unified together and stand as one, you will show the world that you are my disciples. Satan's scheme against you, against me, against the the church for Jesus all around the globe is division. Division is demonic. Unity is godly. Satan loves division. Anytime there's division, what he'll do is he will bring uh, agents of evil or people influenced by Satan to those other people, bringing hordes and hordes and more and more. And you can see it on Facebook. You can see it in social media. You can think about it from, from world history perspectives. Anytime there's evil happening or division, Satan will gather armies of people to help create a greater division, a greater divide. These are schemes of the enemy. And the last, though it may be subtle, could perhaps be the most dangerous and deadly, and that is discouragement. In a time like this, so many people have battle fatigue. 
They're tired of the fight. They're exhausted with the problems. Discouragement comes, and Satan loves to discourage. And this is why the Apostle Paul and many others talk about the importance of encouraging one another, edifying one another, building one another up. Continually and consistently, this one another is used in Scripture, and that's why we're going to be doing a message series soon uh, after we finish up Ephesians is called Better Together and looking at all the one another passages. Discouragement. If you find yourself discouraged and you, you hear the voice of your enemy saying, you're no good, nobody loves you, you're constantly a failure, you're always messing up, that's the voice of the accuser lying to you telling you that there's no room for God's grace, that you're, you're not loved, you're unworthy, you're unwanted. These are discouragement tactics that the devil uses against you. And then the, the third is, is this reality that there is this, that we cannot underestimate our enemy. Don't underestimate the enemy. Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the, this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When I first moved out to the desert in Phoenix, Arizona, I way underestimated the environment. Uh, my younger brother came with me to help plant the church, and, and we were experienced outdoorsmen. I grew up hunting and fishing, and he and I both served as professional outdoor guides and spent many summers working as uh, uh, guides in mountaineering through the collegiate peaks of the Buena Vista Valley. And the reality was is that we did have lots of experience, but we underestimated what the desert was like. I remember on one trip in particular that we went out and we were on an early morning hike and we were kind of doing a survey of the land. And the first thing that happened was somehow we had bumped into an entire swarm of bees in the desert. See, at certain times of the, of the year, these swarms of bees fly through the desert we were literally attacked by a swarm of bees. We found ourselves running down this mountain. We had no idea this kind of stuff existed. I saw one of the bees. It came at me and it binged me on the side of the head. And I thought, what in the world? I've never experienced anything like that. Little did I know that was the threat. That was the, the alarm that you're about to get swarmed by bees. So we just proceeded and the, sure enough, the swarm came after us. We ran down the mountain nearly stepped on a rattlesnake. A rattlesnake strikes at my brother. I freak out. He's getting stung like crazy. We're running down. Well, somehow through the hustle and the running and the craze, we step into what I didn't know at the time was called jumping cactus, choyas. And so now we're covered in cactus. Bees are after us. A snake just tried to attack us, and we get down, find some shade, and little do we know, we see a scorpion crawling across the tree. We're dehydrated. We're sunburned. I literally almost quit at that point and said, I don't know if this is a good place to plant a church. Uh, the reality is, is that you and I can underestimate the enemy. We can underestimate the spiritual environment that we live in. 
if, if what I should have done is I should have studied the area, studied the topography, studied the environment. I should have got somebody that was more experienced in the outdoors to help guide me into this new territory. The reality is, is that you as a Christian, you need to study the scriptures in a time like this. We are at war. We have been at war. The Christian life is not a playground. It's a battleground. And you and I have to realize that we have a real enemy. We can't underestimate this enemy. We need to study the scriptures. We need other experienced believers that have been through the battles, that have seen the schemes, the the tactics, the strategies inflicted upon themselves or other believers to help guide us through the spiritual environment that you and I face. We cannot underestimate this enemy. This is why perhaps the Apostle Paul gives great warning and he talks about the, re- the reality of the forces that we face. Some of you do not believe that the spiritual forces of darkness are true. In recent research, I found a national public opinion survey that showed that, that four out of, uh, out of 10 Christian believers in American culture do not believe Satan is a real threat to their spiritual lives. of American Christians do not believe that Satan is a true, angelic, dark angel that wages war against believers. That is absolutely unbiblical and untrue. The Bible teaches that he is a great force to be reckoned with. And that uh, we've got to realize this, and even for our teenagers in a recent survey, I realized that three out of every ten teenage, or three out of every four teenagers have engaged in at least one type of psychic or witchcraft-related activities. Anytime you open yourself up to horoscopes or, or, or palm reading or anything of darkness, you are inviting the devil to dine with you. You're opening that door for, for witchcraft and satanic activity. Among the most common of these endeavors are the Ouija board, reading books, witchcraft, Wicca, playing games involving sorcery, witchcraft, or having a professional palm reader. You could go up to Sedona right now and find a psychic. I've interviewed those psychics. I've met with those psychics, and they have told me that they are dealing with spiritual forces of darkness, and to navigate through the spiritual realm is scary, and they would acknowledge, they wouldn't call them Satan, they wouldn't call them a dark demon from, uh, from, uh, from the devil, but they would acknowledge dark, spiritual, nasty forces that that they have to navigate through and they will do all sorts of things for you to try to connect you with the dead. The spiritual forces are at work and it is an unseen world. The Christian life is not a playground. It is a battleground and you and I can never underestimate this spiritual forces of attack. The apostle Paul goes in and he talks about the reality of the helpers that are working against us. He says this, let's look at the scripture again, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So who's he talking to? He's talking to the church in Ephesus. What were their problems? They had racial tensions, Jews and Gentiles, Middle Easterners, Asians, everybody. It was a melting pot. It was the third largest city in the Roman empire. He says, that's not our fight. 
Our, our fight's not that. Our fight is against these rulers, against these authorities, against these cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces. He names out, Paul called these rulers, authorities, cosmic powers, spiritual forces. He gives these four categories to describe the devil's helpers. This suggests that a definite army of demonic creatures that assist Satan in his attacks against every believer. The apostle John hinted that one third of all of the angels fell with Satan when he rebelled against God. The good news in that is that two thirds of the angelic kingdom of God still are waging war. You've got to understand that every time you pray, you're sending spiritual works uh, to work in the control center in the heavenly places. This battle takes place in the heavenly places, but it is manifested and it infiltrates our world today. These demonic helpers uh, move all around our world and they infiltrate the mind. They bring schemes against believers. This is why uh, Daniel wrote that angels struggle against God's angels. These Satan's angels struggle against God's angels. There's a battle in the heavenly places. And you and I are a part of this battle. The angels of God, the angels' army are waging war on our behalf. They are helping protect us. They're helping advance. When we, we pray, there's armies of warfare going on. When we enter into that prayer as a church, there's spiritual attacks going on on the offense. And you and I have to realize that uh, this is a battle. And the battle is for glory. And your life is a glory vessel. God wants you, he's got a specific calling on you in your area of influence to give God glory, to contribute towards the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Satan. In every sin that you fall into, every act of evil or darkness, lie, deceit, you are sweeping into the enemy's camp. You are dining with the devil when you open yourself up towards evil, listening to evil messages of music or movies or whatever you bring into your mind and to your heart. You've got to be so, so careful. Be aware of the schemes of the devil and never underestimate the enemy. In Genesis 3, uh, we are told that this enemy is like a serpent. Uh, what you need to know about a snake is that a snake, they, don't, they, they never close their eyes. They're always observing. Uh, they don't even have eyelids. They don't cry. Satan is, is that symbol of that snake. He is uh, referred to as a serpent. What you need to know is that he's always watching. He and his workers are always observing. They're always planning. They're always preparing. They're always trying to steal believers out of a true faith and ruin and wreck their life. He tries to get your family to divorce. He tries to get you to fall into pornography. He's trying to deceive you into discouragement. He's trying to get you to self-destruct. He's trying to divide our country. He's trying to divide our church. He's trying as much as he can to do all that he can to come against us. This reality is as well, John called him a dragon. The apostle John called him a dragon. Uh, don't underestimate a dragon. How many of you would go to war with a dragon? 
this is the power of Satan's power. He is created with this incredible power. He's rebelled against God. And Peter called him a lion seeking to devour. The apostle Paul called him the God of this age. That he is incredible influence in the world that we live in. That's why the Apostle Paul letter wrote, uh, uh, wrote to the church in Rome and said, do not conform to the patterns of this world. This world is an enemy of us. Sin is an enemy to us. Satan and his workers are enemies against us. The schemes that come against us are this deception, this, this division, and our discouragement. If God if, if, the, if, the, if, God, if God is not good enough for your encouragement and godly believers, you will fall into discouragement and you will disarm yourself and then you will disengage as a believer. The Apostle Paul challenges us to stand strong. He repeats that repeatedly. The Apostle Paul called him the God of this age. Jesus called him a murderer. And then Jesus said that he would kill he would steal, and he would destroy. I'm reminded in church history about the perspective in the work of Satan. In church history, we read about uh, Martin Luther, who was the great reformer responsible for the Protestant Reformation. He translated the scriptures into common language for people of his day in Germany and was labeled a heretic. Our faith, our Bible, our history as a church has been greatly helped by this man. Perhaps one of the greatest uh, human beings to contribute to the Protestant church in the world. The reality is, is that I'm sure that God has a great deal of love for this man, Martin Luther. And I'm sure that Satan has had a great deal of hatred against him as well. See, in April 1521, Luther was labeled an outlaw by King Charles V. And so he was taken into hiding at Wartburg Castle in Germany. This was a secret room in the castle where Luther was being protected against King Charles and others during this time. Luther records that he was tormented by spiritual forces of darkness, referring to Satan and his demons as the black dog and the flies of the night that would keep him up and, and irritate and discourage him from writing. See, in that room, that secret room in that castle where he was in hiding for his life, being protected, he translated the entire New Testament from Greek into German, the common language in his day. Uh, he later would go on to the Gutenberg Press and where our scriptures would be uh, moving out throughout all the world in a common language for everyday people to read the scripture uh, that we hold most valuable today in our Bible. See, Satan waged war against this man. And some would call it legend. I think it's a true account. But the, the legend goes is that Luther fought the devil himself. In this room, 
And his, he, at one point in time, he's feeling these fierce attacks and he describes the devil himself coming against him while he's translating the, uh, uh, the, the scriptures into the German language, the entire New Testament, these demonic and, and devil himself attack came upon Luther. He's translating and he grabs his inkwell, throws it at the devil and it smashes against the wall. And for many years uh, after Luther's death, they held that room and gave tours on that room for part of church history. If you were to go to this uh, castle today, you could actually take a tour. You could actually see the room. You could actually go to the very place where Luther translated the scriptures into modern day language. But what you wouldn't find is that ink stain, you see, because they've covered it up. They painted over it. And I think that's a perfect picture of the way we view spiritual warfare. You and I, when it comes to sin and struggle and strife and tough times, you and I are more humanistic than spiritual. We believe more in the material than the immaterial. We don't think of, uh, uh, we have a more rational level of thinking, but the Bible describes Uh, not a natural worldview, but a supernatural worldview. You and I have to realize that our enemy is not simply sin in self or other people. That's a very rational way to think and very normal way to think for a, a Christian evangelical. We've got to start realizing there's a greater enemy at work. And that greater enemy has millions upon millions of foot soldiers that are assigned for works of darkness. And Satan loves to gather crowds for, for darkness. And the reality is, is that you and I have to stand strong as believers in tough times. And we can't just cover it up. So I pray that you would have eyes to see and ears to hear. And that in the coming days, in the coming weeks ahead, you would stand strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your word. We're reminded of the great battle that we do face. And I pray, God, that we would stand strong in tough times. Stand strong and for unity. We pray for unity and ask for unity in our church and in our country. Lord, we, we pray that we would stand strong in peace. That we would be people of peace because you have granted us peace. Lord, we pray for peace in our church. And we pray for peace in our country. And Lord, we pray for justice. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.